Thank you for listening to Jubilee Tri-Valley's podcast. Today's podcast is part three of our sermon series entitled The Blessed Life. Please enjoy. Two little buddies of his are hanging out on the playground talking, and as they get to talking, how I many know little boys sometimes get to talking about their dads, and one kid pipes up and says, you know what, my dad can write words on a piece of paper, call it a poem, and people will give him like 50 bucks for that. Now the kid says, yeah, that's nothing. He goes, my dad, he writes songs. He can actually take paper, write words down on a piece of paper, call it a song, and people will give him 100 bucks for that. And one kid says, I got you guys all school. Check this out. My dad writes words on a piece of paper, calls it a sermon, and it takes like five guys with buckets to collect all that money. <laughs> I tell you that story because I recognize there's a... There's kind of a nervousness in church to talk about money. It's sometimes like one of those things that, you know, a lot of people frown upon or they're nervous. And there's been all kinds of, like I said, abuse or scandal or like just questioning uncertainty. Just so you know, there's no second offering. We're not on a money grab here. You get to keep everything you got with you today. Nobody's going to pat you down on the way out. And, uh, but we do want to talk about money. Here's why we want to talk about money. If you are a Christian and you feel uncomfortable talking about the subject of money, you got to just get over that. And here's why. Because as a Christian, if you follow Jesus, you need to recognize that Jesus actually talked more about your stuff, your possessions, and your finances than any other subject. Did you know that? Like if you go read all the words of Jesus and you look at all throughout the Bible even, you'll see like there's like 500 verses on prayer. I mean, you know, prayer is probably important. And, and there's like 500 verses on faith, and that, that's really important. There's like 2,000 verses on like stuff possessions, finances, income. God has a lot to say about that. And we've, we've talked about why that ultimately what Jesus said is that Jesus said nothing would fight harder to sit on the throne of your heart than stuff, than possessions, than money. And so he, he talks about it a lot. And, and so since he talks about it a lot, we can't not talk about it. You can't avoid it. You can't read Matthew, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and not talk about and look at this subject. And so we decided, let's take four weeks. Let's look at it in depth because we want to experience God's blessing over our life. We want him to bless our marriages. We want him to bless our families, our children, our job situation. But how many know like finances is a huge component of life, isn't it? It's something that for the most part, it's one of the top two or three things that we all stress about and are thinking about on a constant basis. That's why if you go watch the news, what are they always talking about? It's the economy, it's the economy, it's the economy. And so it's a big deal, it causes a lot of stress, but, everybody say but. But sometimes we fail to ask the question, what does God actually say about it? What would God have me do in the realm of my finances? And I cannot avoid it if I'm going to follow Jesus. Now, if you've been with us, this is week three of this series, and on week one, we just started with this big, broad, huge stroke of saying, you know what? God is always first. It's what we call his preeminence, meaning that God is so amazing, God is so big, so huge, so incredible, so indescribable, God can only be first, and he cannot be anything but first. It's his preeminence. And in doing so, and in being so, he's instituted something to you and I that when it comes to his role in our life, that he should always be first. Because if he's not first, he's just not. Does that make sense? Everybody nod, smile at me like you still like me. Last week, we asked a really big question, though. We, we asked the question is this. How does God look at your money? And what we discovered was is that the way God looks at because God doesn't need your money. He doesn't. God's not broke. God doesn't need money like you need money. God just wants... To, to have access to your heart and every arena of your life, and money's a big one of them. So we said the way that God looks at your money is a test, isn't it? 
that literally every time we receive money, it's just a test to see what we'll do with it, who will thank first, who will honor first, what we will prioritize with our stuff. So to him, it's just a test. But this week, everybody say this week, we can ask another question. And because and, and, we know now how God looks at our money, Here, here's a question I have for you. How do you look at your money? Like, have you ever thought about that? Like, what do you think of when you think about your money? How do you perceive it? What's the lens, that, the way that you perceive this thing called money? Because I'll just be honest, for most of my life, I've just looked at my money as mine. Like those little birds in Nemo. It's mine. It's mine. It's mine. Hey, can I? Nope, it's mine. Hey, could you get? Nope, it's mine. And I always thought this stuff is my stuff. How many of you ever felt like my stuff was gone? Like that's the way you looked at your money. Like it was gone. Not enough. That's the way I looked at my money. It was not enough. It was too little. It was, it was my. Or, or, you know, sometimes we look at our money and we say, that, that's hard earned. That's the way we look at money. You know, if, you, if you're like that kind of guy, that kind of girl, yeah, it's hard. It's deserved. I earned it, I worked for it, I, I did this, I went to school so I could do this and this and this. And so we have all these perceptions of how we think about money. But today I want to take a look at a really, really interesting set of verses that talks about maybe the way that we ought to look at money. And if we began to look at money this way, it would change every financial decision that we ever made moving forward. If this became the lens at which we saw our stuff, it would change everything. Let's pray before we begin. So Lord, we pray that your words would come to life today. We pray that your words would matter most today. We pray that your words would bring life and purpose. God, that it would bring truth that would set us free, God. That is our prayer today in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. 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 If you have your Bible, go to the book of Luke with me real quick here. Luke um, describes this story, and it's one of those stories that you might be familiar with. And here's what I want you to do. If you, if you get to this story when you get to your Bible, or when I start reading, you're like, yeah, 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 I know this. Don't do that. I want you to back up. See, the problem with growing up in church or having been in church for a length of time is sometimes you hear these stories and you're predisposed. Like, oh, I already know what the outcome is or I already know what God's trying to say there. Go ahead and back up and let's see, just by chance, if we can take a look at these scriptures, these verses, these words from Jesus with a brand new and kind of fresh perspective. Let's go. Luke chapter 12. Look at verse number 13 with me. The Bible says, someone in the crowd says to Jesus, teacher, Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus replied, man. That's so not probably the way he said it, but. Like there's this verse where like Mary comes to Jesus and, she, and in his response, she, like she asks him to do something. He's like, woman. But I don't think that's how he said it either, though. So these just moments where culturally we miss it. This wasn't like, man, please. This wasn't like woman. This was, you know, part of their vernacular. This is the way they would have said it. It was still honorable. It was still cool. So the Bible says, Jesus, Jesus replies and says, man, who appointed me a judge and an arbiter between you? See, basically what happens is Jesus in a normal just teaching environment, teaching moment, he's helping people. And out of the blue, out of the crowd, this guy just yells, hey, Jesus, um, since you're well respected and people listen to you, I need you to go tell my brother what to do. And here's the deal. He's taken the inheritance and he's not giving me my portion. I need you to go tell him to divide the inheritance properly. And Jesus basically replies, well, look, that, that's, not, that's not my business. You need to get a lawyer. You need to talk to somebody else. That's not on my business. I'm not an arbiter between you and your brother. That's not how this is going to work. But what I am going to give you is, is way more profound and way better. So he continues. He goes, then he looks at him and says, watch out. And be on your guard against all kinds of, everybody say greed. To which I would have been like, this has nothing to do with greed, Jesus. Like, this is like fairness. 
Like, this is what I deserve. Like, I, well, let me, look, you, you didn't understand me the first time around. Okay, so, so my brother got the inheritance and he didn't divide it properly with me like he was supposed to. And now you're trying to talk to me about, about greed. That's not really what I signed up for here today. See, here's the problem with greed. Greed is one of, if not the highest and hardest things to see in the mirror, isn't it? Like, have you ever been in like a group of people and like you're all talking about your issues? Have you ever had somebody pipe up and say, you know what my problem is? I'm just greedy. You've never had that before, have you? Never, not once. Why? Because greed is so hard to see in the mirror. Like, we would, now we know how to see it in other people's mirror though, right? Because if I asked you to like describe greed, you could. And if I said, do you know anybody that's greedy? You'd have one or two people that come to your mind. Can I get an amen? Okay. Does anybody, oh, let's just try. Does anybody know any greedy people? But he is not you. Or she is not you, is it? Because we don't, that's just one of those things we don't like to own up to. And, and even those who, of us who are, and, and I'm sure none of you are really like this. We'll talk about other people. They, the way that they are is, is, is they would never even admit to being greedy. Like even you say, hey, look, I think you might have a little bit of greed in your heart. You, but they'd be like, no, I'm not. I'm careful. I'm a saver, okay? I'm planning for the future, okay? Look, look I'm just frugal, Okay? I just I like everything on discount, and I don't like to spend a lot of money, and so I just, I, it's just the way that I am. I'm, just, I'm being careful. We don't know what's going to go on in the economy, so I just, I'm just not sure what I can. And we have these ways and these excuses or these ways of defining it, but really what Jesus is saying is watch out, be on guard against greed. And here's why you have to be on guard at all times, is it'll sneak up on you. It's real, real subtle, and you can never, ever, ever see it in the mirror. And then he backs it up with this really profound statement. Look at the next statement. He goes... Be on guard against all kinds of greed because life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. That's profound right there. Now, you and I would all mentally like agree with that, wouldn't we? Can we all? Everybody just nod. Let's, wouldn't we all agree that life is, is more than possessions? You know, because life, life has to do with like family and love and health. Like if you don't have your health, like all your stuff doesn't matter. You're just going to die and you're never going to use it. So, so life itself is more important than possessions, health, family, friends, love. We would all admit to that. But here's the problem. And I think we all could, I think we all could admit this. If you analyzed and watched Americans or if you analyzed and watched human beings in general... You would actually have to say, I don't know that we really live according to that, though. Because if you really, let's say this, let's say we're like aliens from outer space and we came to watch humans and just kind of observe behavior and take note. Wouldn't we kind of have to observe and take note of the fact that like we live so that we can make money to spend on stuff. And we work so that we can get money to spend on stuff. And really, if we don't get more stuff, we might die. I mean, literally, if you were looking from another planet, you could say, yeah, because here's what they do. They go out and they earn it and they spend it. And then they earn it and they spend it. And they get this and they spend it. And you know what? They even, they even need stuff so much that they spend money that they don't even have. They come up with this system called credit where they don't even have it and they spend it to get stuff that they really don't necessarily have to have. They just really, really want to have because if they don't get it, they'll probably die. Because possessions are like food and like water. They need more stuff. And so it's like, because think about it. What do we do? Immediately, the money comes in. It's like, okay, we're going to the mall. We're going to the grocery store. We're going here. We're going here. We're going spending here, doing here, here. So, so even though we would all agree with Jesus's, with Jesus' words, life is not, there goes, life does not consist in an abundance. We would all admit that. But I guess what I want to get to today and what we're going to see is, is, is that really something we agree to mentally or is that something that we actually have totally settled in our heart and are totally at peace with? And here's the way I would say you're at peace with. It'll depend on the rest of this message. 
So Jesus backs it up by doing what he always does. He drops this nugget, and he says, okay, now let me tell you a story. So the Bible says he tells them a parable. The ground of a certain rich man, everybody say rich man, so we know what we're talking about. We're talking about a rich man yielding an abundant harvest. And he thought to himself, what? What am I need to do? What? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, you know, I, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my old barns and I'll build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus of grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be, everybody say, be merry. And this, at first glance, again, you got to look at it like, like you, you fresh eyes here. This is a success story, isn't it? I mean, let's be honest. This is the American dream. This is like what we all want in life. We all want security. We all want to think, you know what? God has blessed me. I was already, because think about it. He was already a rich guy who got what? Richer. He was a rich guy who God made even more abundant. That's what we all want. We would all like to be financially blessed and then even have more on top of that. And we would all like to get to a place where we have more laid up for years and we can take life easy and rest and be totally safe and secure. This is a natural human instinct to be safe and secure, isn't it? So in all, at this first glance, we're thinking, well, this is a success story. But laced in here are some huge problems. And Jesus goes on to address these problems. Now, again, these are rich people problems. The Bible says in verse 20, but God said to him, meaning he had a certain perspective on money. Now, God has a slightly different perspective, and it's a little bit harsh. You fool. (laughs) That's not nice. You fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Which you can answer that question. Who will get what he laid up forever? Somebody else. Not because he gave it to him. Not because he intended it. Just because he's dead. And I, I have really, really bad news for you today. It's a statistical proof. One out of every one person dies. It's going to happen to us all. And here's what else I know. You don't get to take your stuff with you into the afterlife, into heaven, or whatever. Make sense? So who gets your stuff? Same answer, somebody else. And Jesus is telling this parable to let them know that there are some foolish mentalities out there. And I want to pick up on a few of them. This is the first one that I would say that we find in this, in this guy. Again, it seems to be like a success story. And really, when it happens to everybody else, we're excited or envious that it happened to them and not us. So let, let's do this. Foolish statement number one is this. He planned for the future, but he didn't plan for eternity. Did you notice that? How many know it's good to plan? The Bible says that the plans of the diligent make rich. So let me just go on to say this. This guy was successful probably because he was a good planner. Wasn't he already rich? And then when he got more, he didn't just just go nuts with it or go bananas with it. He didn't run off and just blow it all. He had what? He had a plan. Having a plan is, is not a bad thing. And having a plan for the future is not a bad thing. Jesus, I, I'll even show you this in a second. Jesus never says it's bad to save. So don't get that twisted. It, he never says it's bad to plan. The foolishness comes in when I plan because this guy planned, but he didn't plan far enough ahead, did he? Did you think about that? He planned for the future. He just didn't plan for eternity. He planned. He, what, he, what he lacked was not money. What he lacked was foresight. To realize and to recognize that, you know what, all this stuff, it might be here for a different reason, and I'm not going to be on this planet Earth for, for all that much longer. What about 
then? What about the future? Because what if now and what I do now affects then? Foolish number two is he assumed that he was the source of his success. And this is the same mistake that you and I make. That's why we think our money is ours or it's deserved or it's earned. And like, now let me ask you a question. This guy was a farmer, right? The Bible says he had an abundance of crops. Now, it obviously takes some work on your part, but who is the ultimate provider when it comes to those type of agricultural resources? It's God. It came out of the earth. It became because God provided sunshine and rain and, and took a seed and put life inside of a seed and make life burst forth and produce more. I mean, so like this is a divine idea and God is the one that blessed him, isn't he? And sometimes you and I fall into that same foolishness. We start looking at our stuff and we think, well, no, 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 Todd, you, I, I went to school for this. I worked really, really hard. Do you know how many late nights I spent studying so I could get that degree and go to that thing and take on this and become that? And I used to work 60 hours a week and you don't know what I put in. And I would say, be careful to assume that you are truly the source of your own success. I'm not saying you had nothing to do with it, but don't ever think that you did it all by yourself. It's almost like that old Texas saying, if you ever find a turtle on top of a fence post, just know that he didn't get there by himself. You are the turtle. Just a thought. Foolishness, number three, is this. Is that he assumed that it was his stuff, didn't he? I'll even reread you the verses. He goes, I have no place to store my crops. And he said, well, I know what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns to build bigger ones. Then I'll have a store for my surplus grain. He thought it was his. See, this is what we fail to do many times as people and as human beings. We think money is for the here and now only, and we never ask ourselves the question, why do I actually have stuff, and what would God want me to do with it? Isn't that the question that the rich man started out asking? He says, I've got an abundance of stuff. What shall I do? It was the most brilliant question he could have asked himself. He just came up with the dumbest answer. Because we all need to eventually step back and ask ourselves the question, you know what? I've got stuff. Maybe I've got a home. I've got an income. I've got, you know what? Most of us in this room are on a world standard rich. We have homes to live in. We have cars to drive. We have indoor plumbing, running water, electricity. Some of us have homes for our cars that we put our cars in. Some of us, though, have so much stuff that the home that was designed for our car has run out of space. And now our car is on the street because... We have so much stuff. We don't have room enough to keep it all. We've got lots of stuff. And we are blessed with more than we need. Because isn't that the definition of rich? To have more than you need? And most of us fit in that category. And most of us would say, you know what? I, I, I'm in some ways, I might not be as rich as that guy, but I, I have more than I need. Then I need to ask myself the question, what should I do then with what I have left over. The rich guy asked the right question. He just came up with the wrong answer. And this is what Jesus addresses. He goes, there's a foolish mentality about this guy. He thought he earned it. He thought he deserved it. He thought it was all his. And he just thought, he just assumed, well, I'm going to save it for the future. But he did not plan far enough ahead. Again, the last set of foolishness, and I just kind of alluded to this, is this, is that he didn't ask the question, why do I have extra? Why do I have extra? You ever ask that question? Sometimes when you're really wealthy and you see somebody that's not as well off as you, sometimes you even have a sense of guilt in your heart and you ask yourself why. Why do I have more and he doesn't? Why do I have all this and they don't? And sometimes it guilts us. I don't want you to be guilted. I want you to be grateful. But I also want you to ask the question, what should I do then? 
Because how many of you want to be like the foolish guy? None of us do. Let's keep reading. So the Bible says, kind of near the end of the story, he goes, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Now here's the tragedy of the story, right? He dies and never gets to see one penny of that to get spent on being merry, does he? Somebody else gets it. And what we find here is that this guy, the tragedy was not that he died. That's what you need to know. Remember I already told you, everybody dies, right? So that's not the tragedy. You know what the real tragedy to this guy's story is? Is that he experienced total, absolute loss. He didn't get to use it in this life. And what we'll find now is that he didn't get to use it in the life to come either. That's total loss. See, it's one thing if, 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 if you get to use it here, but then you have nothing on the other side. But what's even better is, is to be wise with it here so that it actually grows and expands what you have on the other side of life. See, Jesus always alludes to the idea that what you do now affects then. Everybody say that. Everybody say now affects then. I don't really know how. I don't really know why. I just know Jesus said it. I'm not sure how the calculator works. I'm not sure if Jesus has a divine spreadsheet and he's, he's got a list and he's checking it twice. I don't really know how this works. He, uh, let me give you some examples though. This is Jesus' words. Look at Matthew chapter 6 verse 19. He says these words. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Why? Because there's moth. And I love this vermin. It reminds me of my grandfather. There's vermin in them barns. Um, my grandfather was a rancher. He had barns everywhere. Vermin. Um, where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But, this is what he says. This is, I want you to be wise. But store up for yourselves treasures where? In heaven. So Jesus alludes to this idea, doesn't he? That literally when you gain all your stuff here and don't treat it like God would have you treat it and you're not wise with it, when you get there, you have what? Nothing. Now, here's just a, a simple, logical question. Where do you live longer, here or there? Where would you rather be more blessed, here or there? Because you live longer there, don't you? And I don't know how this all works. I have, there's no scripture that defines exactly how it works. But I could give you multiple parables that say what you do now affects what happens then. That how you treat your stuff now affects what you receive reward-wise then. I'll give you another one. Paul says the same thing. He backs this idea up. Paul in the book of Philippians is addressing a church that's very, very generous. He's, he's congratulating them and, 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 and kind of being proud of them. And he goes, not, verse number 17 of Philippians 4, he goes, not that I desire your gifts. I mean, I'm not, I mean, I'm excited that you gave towards missions and changing the world. But I mean, like, think about it like this. What I desire is that more be credited to your, everybody say your account. The, the, the New King James even says, I, 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 I'm so excited about the fruit that's accredited to your account. I don't know how this works, but I do, and I'm absolutely certain of this. What you do now affects what you have then. Like, heaven is not a communist society where everybody gets the same. I probably just messed with somebody right now. You probably all thought we were going to go to heaven and get wings and be chubby little cute babies, or I just wrecked your theology. It's not a communist society in heaven. Where everybody gets the same and everybody's, it's not. There are reward in heaven and I don't know how it works. I wish I could be more specific. Well, I tell you what, when we get there, I'll tell you what I've learned, okay? So just wait. So he goes, he goes, I've received, verse 18, I've received the full payment and have done more than enough. I am, I am amply supplied and now that I've received from this guy the gifts that you sent, 
They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. So this is what he, he says. He says, when you have a generous heart and when you are giving first before you do anything else, what you need to know is this, is that you are crediting stuff to your account in heaven somehow, that you are laying up treasures in heaven somehow, and God is super duper pleased with you. Doesn't that sound like a win-win? It's better than that. It's a win-win-win. Check this out. So you get account credited. God is pleased with it. And then verse 19, this is the verse we quote, but we never use the context. It says, and my God will meet all your what? Needs. I mean, this is, this is what we want in life. We want the security. But can I inform you of something real quick here? There's nothing secure about money. Money comes, money goes. Economies rise, economies fall and collapse. There is nothing certain about wealth and riches. It can be here one day and be gone the next. You know who doesn't change? It's God. You know who's never been uh, lacking in faithfulness? It's, it's God. And so what you want on your side more than you want money, it's God. And God says that when you think give first, when you think generosity first, here's what's going to happen. You're thinking about the future. But not just retirement. You're thinking about the real long-term future. And that right there, that's wisdom. Let's keep going here. So the Bible says at the end of this, in, in, in Luke chapter 12, verse number 21, this is the end of the story here. Everybody say this. This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. So he defines for us here. He goes, let me, I want you to always be on the lookout for greed because you can never see it in the mirror. Be careful because life does not consist about you getting more stuff. I know it feels like that. And I know keeping up with the Joneses and having the newest things and being, I know, I know, I know it matters to you, but that's not what life is. Life is so much more than that. As a matter of fact, let me tell you a story. He tells a story and he goes, the foolish ideas that it's yours, that you earned it, that it's all these ideas. He goes, when you live like that, this, everybody say this. You read it again. It says, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. This is, this is the blueprint right here. That what we want to do is create a, a, a pattern and a consistency in our life where we literally think like this. And let's put this on the screen. This is how I would, I would pray and dream and so desire that you set your finances. That first thing you do is this, is that you give. Before you do anything, we've talked about this, that we give to God first before we do anything else, that we honor him first. The first check that we cut is to God and is to honor him with the tithe. And the first thing we do is we look at areas that we can give and we set in advance. We make a pre-decision to give generously. Because when we don't make a pre-decision, this is how most Americans live. Most Americans, they, they have a certain income. They use their lifestyle and ram it all the way up against their income. Many of them go over that, Right? And then something disastrous happens, like a snowstorm or a tsunami or a hurricane or a tornado, and our heart breaks for people. And we think, oh, I really want to do something. And so we send a check for 50 bucks, and we feel a little bit better, and we're like, well, I was really generous. No, you're not. Generous is when we make a pre-decision, and we stay consistent with it. This is ultimately why God doesn't ever set an amount in, in, of money to give in Scripture. He only sets a what? A percentage. Because a percentage always moves with your income. So this is the blueprint for it right here is that we make a predecision to give first. After we give, we save. Jesus never said that saving was bad. Listen to these words. When, when you look at, at this last verse, it says, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves. He doesn't say that's bad, but 
is not rich towards God. Is it bad to save? No, absolutely not. You, you need to save. But don't save to the neglect of being generous. Don't save to the, neglect, or to, to the goal of being greedy and getting more stuff. You want to save and give. So we, if you could put this on the screen for me, Brandon. Give first, save second, and then thirdly, live off the rest. That's the blueprint right there. I know that seems too simple, isn't it? I feel like I came up here and you were wanting something profound and I gave you something that we would teach our elementary school kids. We would teach our preschool kids this, wouldn't we? Think about it like this. Let's say you took your kids and you said, here, here's the blueprint. I want to teach you this for the rest of your life. I want you to, the first thing you do, anytime you get your, your allowance, income, whatever, I want you to give to God first. We would all totally support our kids in doing that. The next thing I want you to do is I want you to save. Then I want you to live off the rest. Have you ever asked yourself why you feel so much financial pressure? Here's the answer. Outside of bad, disastrous things happen, here's why we have just typical financial pressure. It's because our income is here and we ram our lifestyle all the way to the top. And when there's no room for margin, we're always pressured. We're always like, oh, I don't know if we're going to make the bills. This I don't know if we're going to make ends meet. I don't know. You know the people who sleep easy at night when it comes to their finances? People that create margin in between their income and their lifestyle. I'm like, oh, that's so simple. You're, yeah, but we don't, why, why do we fight against it? Because it's hard to see greed in the mirror. And so he says, be on guard. Watch out. This is going to happen. Watch. Your income is going to, or your lifestyle is going to start just keep chasing your income. You know what the best thing that you could ever do in life? And if we all could, we would all go back into a time machine and find our 20-year-old dumb selves and shake it, wouldn't we? And we'd say, listen to me. You don't know what you're doing. You're dumb because you're 20 and you just don't know any better. But I'm going to give you wisdom. First thing I want you to do is give, then I want you to save, then I want you to live off the rest. And if you make a pre-decision to live off of only 80% of your income, you never feel that pressure. And if your income goes up, well, your, in, your, your lifestyle can go up some. And if your income goes down, you adjust your lifestyle. But the smartest thing you can ever do in life is make a pre-decision to honor God, to make a pre-decision to save. Isn't that what we call the 80-10-10? Or the 10, 10, 80, we tithe 10%, we save 10%, we live off the 80. Why can none of us do that now? It's because our lifestyle is so rammed up high into our income, we can't back that train up now. And I'm encouraging you, you pray, you fight, you be diligent, you, you squeeze those numbers and try to get back to that. I would do this when, when I, I was talking to a couple I'm going to do pre-marriage counseling with. This is what I would say to every pre-marriage couple. Like when you sit down to look at your finances, the most brilliant thing you could do is set a mark for how much you actually want to live off of. And stay committed to that mark. Because then, as your income goes up, you're blessed. And your income goes down, you just make adjustments. And if you only live off that, you always have margin. To where you're giving to God, you're saving. And all these things come into play. Because then we truly become the stewards of what God has given us. He says, this is how it is for people who save but are not rich towards God. Let me, I'm going to close right here. This is what it means to be rich towards God. When you have more than you need and you have other people around you who have nothing or cannot meet their needs, what should you do? Let's go back in time. When you were a kid and anytime you had something and a friend of yours didn't, what did your mom or dad always tell you to do? Share, right? Isn't that like just simple, basic, like, and I have to like pound this into my son. You know what I mean? Like, no, share, share, share. You got like 100,000 Legos, and he ain't got no share, you know, that kind of a thing. And so this is, in essence, what God is saying when he goes on to define it. And I can show you a number of different scriptures how. But he says, when you have more than you need and other people don't have what they need at all, you know what you ought to do? You ought to be generous. And by being generous towards them, you are actually being rich towards 
God. Here, let, let's do it like this. I have a simple illustration for you. How many of you really like chocolate chip cookies? Is there any chocolate chip cookies? Tana, I saw your hand go up first. That's how excited you are about chocolate chip cookies. Can you come up here? Um, because I have chocolate chip cookies. I have chocolate chip cookies because I like chocolate chip cookies too. So now here's the deal. This is grandma's and um, all the visitors got these, by the way. We treat you for coming to church. So here's the deal. I like chocolate chip cookies and I'm so glad that you do too. And here, guess what? How many come into a grandma's pack? Two. Now here's the deal. I'm going to eat one of these because it's, it's mine. And I've got this other one and, and you don't have any at all, do you? But here's, see, here's the thing, though, and you don't know this. Um, I'm going to go home later today and watch the football game, and then I won't have a cookie for during the game. So what I really need to do is I need to set this aside so that I, I have one for later. You totally get that, don't you? Um, so, so while I have two and you have none, I'm going to go ahead and set this to the side. I really like you. I really didn't eat breakfast this morning. This is kind of my brunch, if you will. And here's what I'm going to do for you, Tony, because I really love you, and you know that I love you. Um, I'm going to pray for you. <laughs> and here's why. Because God blessed me, and I'm going to pray that somebody comes along and, and, and blesses you. Yeah, I want somebody to bless you like I was blessed. <laughs> or you can take the crumbs that fall from my table. <laughs> because, because although I have two, I, I, I hope somebody gives you two someday. That would be the way to go, wouldn't it? Like... But like, how many you know, like as a parent, when you see your kids do stuff like this, you, you know, you hopefully get onto them and you say, no, 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 you got two cookies and they don't have none. What should you do? So here, here's the thing I have for you. Why do you have stuff? Why, I mean, why do you have anything? You should ask yourself that, well, why, God, why do I have anything? Could it be that there's a lot of people in this world who don't have what you have and that you have more than you what you need and you should actually take the leftover that you don't absolutely need and probably be more generous and do what? Share. And we see this in a simple illustration, but what we do is simply, you know, I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to help you real quickly. You are the answer to your own prayer. And the best way to do this in life is to make a pre-decision, to make sure that I give first. That way, that way, that's always a constant, and I can always be keeping my greed in check, because that thing will come back like a thief in the night. My greed will always be in check, because I'm going to give first. I'm going to save. I'm not dumb. My plans are diligent. Do make rich. I'm going to be wise. I'm going to be a good steward. I'm going to think about how I should handle my stuff. So I'm going to give first. I'm going to save second. And then, you know what I'm going to do? Then I'm going to live off the rest. Because life does not consist of an abundance of stuff. Sometimes when you have cookies, you should just give them away. And now you have two cookies and your friend has none. I'm just kidding. That was good. Jesus' words said it better than I can ever try to explain it away. Be on guard. Watch out for all kinds of greed because life does not consist of abundance of stuff and possessions. God, when he looks at your money, he sees it as a test. When we look at our money, what we should see it is as a tool. And we should ask ourselves the question, what shall I do then? God, I am rich and you have given me, you've given me so much more. What should I do with this? Now, the foolish guy came up with the idea that, you know what? 
I'm going to take my stuff, I'm going to tear down my old barns, I'm going to build newer barns, and I'm going to save up for plenty. But he experienced total loss because he had nothing in the life to come to show for what all God had given him. Here's my question. What does your heavenly bank account look like right now? My mom, for the longest time, didn't work because she stayed home to take care of us kids, and my dad always worked. And, um, you know, eventually as my mom got older and we got older, my dad was like, you know, you probably need to go back to work because, you know, you start collecting Social Security, you ain't going to get nothing. And so, sure enough, this idea got in my mom's mind. It's like, well, I want to I start working so I can save and I can have and I can do more. That way, when we're retired, I'm going to have a little spend of money. And, uh, and, and so she started thinking this way. She started thinking about, well, if I work now, then I've got saved for the future. Again, I would say that it's great to think about retirement. And, and don't get me wrong, I want you to think about that. But I don't want you to be short-sighted. I want you to think not only about retirement, but I want you to think about eternity. Because what amount of time you spend on eternity vastly, vastly, unfathomably outweighs the life that you spend here. How's your heavenly bank account doing? Are you rich towards God? Would you in the story be like the foolish rich guy? Or would you be a guy that says, no, 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 I've started out and I've put myself on a plan to where I give first, I save second, and then I live on the rest because I don't want to be foolish. I want to be blessed. Let's pray this morning. Father, we thank you so much, God, that your words are true, that they set us free. God, that they shine the light on the issues of our heart, that, Lord God, some of us in here, even though we'd never want to admit it, and we're probably not as bad as maybe other people that we compare ourselves to, God, that there's an element of greed usually in all of our hearts. And, God, there's always opportunities where, where we could give, where we could be generous towards the kingdom, where we could advance the gospel, where we could help somebody in need. And God, I pray that as we leave this place today, God, that you would have cemented in our heart God, that we are a generous people. That we're going to give first and live off the rest. We're going to give first and then live off the rest. God, we're going to be generous towards your kingdom. We're going to be rich towards you. We're going to honor you first, Lord God, so that you can bless everything else in our life, Lord God. And we're thankful that, God, you are working on our behalf, God. That you are our provider. God, you haven't left us alone to figure this out by ourselves. God, you are actively involved in our lives, in our finances. God, help us today. God, we pray that you change our heart. Change our mind. Let us walk out of this place differently than we walked in today, God. That is our prayer today in Jesus' name. If you believe that, give me a good gospel. Amen. 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 Yeah, give the Lord a big hand clap this morning. Thank you again for listening to Jubilee Tri-Valley's podcast. For more information on Jubilee Tri-Valley Church, please visit us online at jtvchurch.org.